It's not great that you had trouble reading it, but it's going to make our conversation great. Welcome to Cabbages and Kings, a podcast for readers of science fiction and fantasy. I'm your host, Jonah Sutton Morse. Kate Shapira is a poet, a teacher, and the proprietor of the Climate Anxieties Counseling blog and booth during temperate months. She also very much enjoyed Jeff Vandermeer's Annihilation, which won the Nebula and Shirley Jackson Awards for Best Novel in 2014, and which I struggled through. So, of course, I invited her on to talk about the book, but first we talked about her history with science fiction and fantasy and some formative authors. It used to be more, I read a lot of it when I was kind of small and medium-sized. I never kept up with it. Oh, there's a new book. I have to go get it. I have to see what it's about. I would say that in terms of people who are who write science fiction, who have had a huge influence on the way that I see and think about the world. Probably the two biggest ones are Ursula K. Le Guin and Octavia Butler. I read Le Guin real early, probably 12 maybe or something is when I, is when I read my first book by her. Um, and I read her steadily all, all through high school. And what and was then, your introduction to Le Guin? Um, I want to say it was actually not science fiction. I want to say it was maybe the Earthsea books. Yeah. So Le Guin and you read Left Hand of Darkness earlier. That that must have been a sort of interesting read early on. I was definitely not equipped for it in any real way. I didn't, you know, I bits of it probably lodged in my consciousness, but I, I don't think I was able to sort of interact much with it the first time I read it. Mm -hmm. But then later I, I was able to interact more. Kind of the way that she uses science fiction to imagine things that are socially different and culturally different mm -hmm. than the world that we know, than any of the worlds that we know, um, and not just technologically different. You know, the way that she uses it to imagine like different arrangements of power and relationship and relationality. That's something that super stuck with me and affected the way that I write. I think everything really, not just, not just stories. And also I think affected what I look for in what I read. What is the vision that this person has of the world? And I think that she's the person who sort of taught me to look for that at all. Okay. Not even like to look for, is it this vision or is it that vision? But just like the idea that the writer's vision of the world is what makes this, is part of what makes the story and that you should look for that when you read. Yeah. That's, I think that came from her. I think that that's a gift that, that she gave me. And then when I read Butler, which was in high school, I just hadn't, that seemed to me to be much more sort of not allegorical. That's not the word I want, but to be, you know, that, that seemed to be writing that was much more about the world as it is or almost is than the world yes. as it could be. And so I was very taken with that way of looking at it. And she's also a much more like haunting and haunted writer than Le Guin is. So I think that's something that, that captured my attention as well. Everything from like parasitism to like possession to like, carrying history in your body to the whole Xenogenesis trilogy, which I think is called something else now where like you're literally transforming and being transformed as an alternative to extinction. Mm -hmm. But the first one that I read actually was Parable of the Sower, which is the near future one. Right. Where the way that the hero of that story meets her world and strikes out into the world, not on her own, but in this state of deep 
connection and mutual dependency with other people who are trying to survive this harsh world, that really stuck with me. And the way that she is sort of willing to transform herself in order to survive in the world really stuck with me. Mm -hmm. I remember, because I read that one fairly recently, and just thinking about the way that she was able to see and describe the world, and it, it felt like both... Butler, the author, and also the protagonist were were really there was something about just seeing what was important. Yeah, yeah. And and making sure that I knew what they thought were important. Grace Paley, who doesn't write science fiction, has this line about uh, seeing through the appearance of things to the apparition itself. Okay. I feel like Butler's characters are really good at doing that. Like Lauren Olamina, who's the narrator of that book, is really good at doing that. Is there for you a through line in kind of all of the different pieces of what you're reading that you can say this is kind of what what holds it together and is appealing for me? Tend to be like, what's the relationship between a person or a being and their community, the community that they're part of? And so I, I gravitate toward stories that are about that. I gravitate toward poems that kind of explore that territory through like we- the weird dancing around ways that poems do. And Recently, I have been super drawn toward transformation and texts that chronicle it, that give instructions for it, that propose it, that are in some way engaged with radical transformation, deep transformation. So Mm -hmm. I feel like that's been a through line recently. The stuff that I tend to pick up again tends to be dealing with that in some way. I tend to be impatient. <laughs> this is terrible, but I tend to like be impatient with stuff that's not about that or like more impatient. <laughs> I'm like, what are you making me pay attention to this for? I need to know how to change. Mm-hmm. So that's, I feel like that's been, that's more recent though. Mm-hmm. And I also like, you know, as much as I seek that out and like kind of thirst for it, I feel a little like stubborn towards it. So I'll read something and I'll be like, tell me what to do. And then I'll be like, but no, not that. Right. I don't want to do that. Imagining change can be really hard. This is something I am noticing. It is. It's super hard. Any kind, good kind, bad kind, kind that would be good for you, but bad for someone else or bad for you, but good for someone else. And I've realized that I, I just, I don't, I don't like change. I like having habits and I find what it is that I'm doing and where I am very comfortable. And and even even the parts of it that I I don't enjoy and wish either wish were different about me or wish were different about my living environment. I'm like, but change sounds worse and harder. <laughs> and that's just something I'm trying to get a little more comfortable with. Right, right. I know how to live in this situation. I know how to live in this context. I right. might not know how to live in the other context. Right. Yeah, totally. I think that's like a very common way of feeling. And I think it's also a very succinct way of putting it. It's not necessarily about the quality of one state or the other. It's just that it's different. It's just that it's something else. And that you don't have the you don't have the familiarity with the new thing. And you maybe can't even imagine the new thing. Maybe you can't even imagine how the new thing would be. You can't even think like, this is going to be better, or this is going to be worse, because you actually like, the only thing that you can imagine is like what you can see at the moment, see in at the moment. One of the things that I would add to that for me, I'm trying to stretch my definition of positivity. Mm-hmm. What are the ways of imagining the world that I might at first 
like be frightened by or reject because of their difference from the world that we know, but that might that might have a kind of betterness that I had not previously considered at all. And I'm actually not even still not even super comfortable with. So I feel like if you're willing to start talking about annihilation now, yeah. that actually is one of the things that super gripped me about that book is that the transformations that are happening to humans, to non-human life that we know, and then to non-human life that we don't know, that's unfamiliar to the world that we're in, are extremely drastic and terrifying and dangerous and painful, right? You have to relinquish so much to be in this version of the world. And yet, it is not entirely a horrifying vision. You can also see its beauty and its liveliness and its complexity. So that, for me, that that really activated that part of my imagination that was trying to go, what transformations might be possible and what might they cost? Right. What might we gain, but what might we give up? So did you, going for a second to the the positivity, I found, and I found at first that the, the I, I was taken in by the narrator much too long. And, and mm-hmm. so it was only, it was only when, I think it was when the narrator said, by the way, here are all of the changes that I have undergone during mm-hmm. this, that it occurred to me how much the narrator had been changed. But in many ways, so much of my reaction to this book was, I don't want to be there. I don't want to be in mm-hmm. Area X. I don't want other people going into Area X. I don't, I don't want, like, these transformations are frightening for me. And... Some of them are maybe kind of interesting, but they're mostly frightening. And then look look how much even the narrator is changed. And so I think because of that, like I never really I never really grappled with what, what sorts of transformations are happening. This is so great. It's not great that you have trouble reading it, but it's gonna make our conversation great because I super wanted to be there. I super wanted to be there. Really? Yes. The minute I mean, I think I would hate it a little bit, but because it would hurt and mm-hmm. be scared. But when she's describing it, what it feels like to be there, I was like, yes, set, give me my pack, send me across the border, I'm ready to go. I had that reaction so strongly. And I think that started out with the fact that it's described, at least at the beginning, as a world in which non-human forms of life live strongly and well, right? So that right. was something that was beautiful and appealing to me. Then later, of course, you find out that the non-human forms of life are not limited to the ones that coexist uh, with humans with relative potential mutual benefit, although humans spend some time screwing them up. You know, later on, you find out that the human-non-human relations in this place can be extremely, like, violent and terrifying and destructive, not just like, oh my god, look at those fucking otters, they're so cool. But they are. A. So that was the first, that was the first thing that made me go, this sounds great. Like, please send me to this, mm-hmm. this place and I will try not to fuck it up while I'm there. And then even when things start to change and get scary and bad, and they do, they really do. Yeah. They get mysterious. They get deeply mysterious. We don't, not only do we see 
danger, but we don't know what the source of the danger is. We don't know how to meet it. We don't know its its nature, right? Its true state of being. We don't know that from really the whole book. I mean, you sort of, at the end, you sort of get an inkling of like what, what might have happened here to cause this change, but it's really not, it's really not pinned down in any way, which I also liked. We're also going to talk about the biologist, who she was before she entered Area X, and the transformation she experienced. I felt like she was changing sides the whole time, and that maybe she had really always sort of been on the side of of the non-human world without, a, you know, before encountering this place, this this transformative place. She had always sort of been like more that she's a traitor. That she's right. a traitor to the to the sense of of humanness that we think is the only sense of humanness or the only way to be human. Right. And so her her sort of what you experienced as dishonesty in reading her sort of once I sort of got that sense I like I think I retrofitted my sense of her to be like oh okay that's why this is happening because yeah. she because she's really throwing in her lot with this place. I think you said something like traitor to our sense of being human yeah as i was reading the whole time i was thinking about the mission of gathering information and then returning to the outside of area x in order to deliver that information so that scientists could do scientist things and we could describe and catalog and you know come to come to know and and describe and be able to encompass this thing this and limit x and and in and in doing so absolutely limit it and one of the things that sort of like one thing is that she doesn't do that she decides okay i'm, I'm you know i'm gonna go live here and but another thing is that it's it strikes me that that might not even that is probably not even a possible thing to do for her or for us for us to describe or to live there? To describe. It's okay, not got clear it. to yes. me that it would be possible to send in missions that were able, like, even if even if you could bring in observers that did not change as they observed somehow. Right. Like, it, it strikes me that a piece of a thing about Area X is that Area X can't be described and cataloged in the ways that modern science, which I think tends to be springing from Victorian roots we like to describe and catalog as sort of step one in bringing things under control and mastery. Well, not that. Yeah, totally. But not only that, I think it also casts a light back on like, Hey guys, like how good are we at doing this to the more familiar non-human aspects of our world? How good is this scientific process, this control and mastery rooted, this em this empire like, scientific yes. process how good is that really at describing at evoking and at relating with or re you know recounting but re re relating and also relating with recounting this the non-human world as we experience it without any mysterious things that seem supernatural to us at all right how great are we at describing the things that even that she thinks she's seeing when she first enters area x and I think that part of the insistence of the book is not that great. We're not that great at it. Exactly. And I think that I, if and when I go back to it, 
what I'm going to want to be thinking about is the ways in which describing and cataloging is both fundamentally a sort of imperial controlling approach and problems with that, and also the ways in which it's fundamentally just incomplete and flawed and doesn't work. Because I think that, that that seems to run through the book a lot. Agreed. Um, Agreed. Which it's very much sometimes hard for me. Like, like that's how I'm used to thinking about the world. Totally. Yeah, but it is. It's a book about the limits of the limits of like mastery and the limits of science and the limits of like what knowing about something can do to you and for you. Because she sort of likes being a biologist or she likes some things about it. She has liked it in the past, but it seems like in learning to live as part of Area X. She, in a way, like relinquishes some of the things about being a biologist that she thought were necessary to it Mm -hmm. and embraces more fully other things about it that she also thought were necessary to it and also embraces out of necessity things that she didn't even know were possible to do or be. Right. That's the piece that she makes is to say, in order to be here and to be part of this place, I have to relinquish certain things that I thought were essential to being human, some of which I didn't ever really want to do anyway, and some of which I kind of did want to do. Right. There is a line, because I was trying to find your comment about how she had always wanted to be a biologist. She describes early on being with her parents, and they had a pool out back. Yep. That yep. they didn't take care of, and so it became a little ecosystem. Yeah. And she said, I liked most of all pretending to be a, a biologist, and pretending often leads to becoming a reasonable facsimile of what you mimic. I wrote yes. down my pool observations in several journals. I knew each individual frog from the next. Old flopper so much different from ugly leaper. I knew during which month I could expect the grass to teem with hopping juveniles. In all of this, I eschewed books on ecology or biology. I wanted to discover the information on my own first. So it's interesting that even there, it seems to me like there is facsimile and pretending, and that is old old flopper and ugly leaper are not sort of scientific. They are, they are descriptive, but they are not the sorts of descriptions. It's not the green one and the brown one. Right. There's a, a personality. There's a lot of emotion attached to it in ways that I think the notion of facsimile of biologist and going back to your notion that she is in many ways a traitor to the imperial project of science. Yes. And they're people, right? You said that you're, you just said that you said they have person, there's like personality and emotion to these names. They're people, they're not human people. And she doesn't think that they're human people. And so then when you go to the end, when her transformation is much more advanced, it raises for me the question of, can you be could we give up our humanity and still be people? Can you be a person without being human? That's a pretty big question. I would super love to have some more exploration of that question. Not, I mean, I don't mean right now. I mean, yeah. like in, in everything. Yeah, I am thinking what is it also about- of Butler's, uh, well, the only one I've read is Dawn, but that's kind of central yeah. to yes. that one too, right? Yeah. Yes, yes, right. By the end of that, By the end of that book, the characters are... Definitely people, but they are definitely not human people anymore, and they never ever will be again. And that's the that's their alternative to extinction. I mean, that is that is something that I think maybe these books share 
a little bit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, because it seems like a common thread in in a lot of science fiction fantasy is sort of what makes us human as opposed to mm. the other, the alien. In what mm-hmm. ways are we different from others? And I think sort of implicit in that and being questioned in Annihilation is that it's sort of important that we be people and that, that and we be human people. And maybe we're sort of flawed and maybe there are problems with being human and we need to figure out how to how to not be human. But there's a real... I think a real fear in a lot of the literature of technology or something changing us to be not human. Yes. And some of that fear is the fear that's being evoked in Annihilation as yes. the biologist, I think it's safe to say, becomes not human. <laughs> yeah, I think that's, yeah, I'm comfortable with that. And maybe that's not quite as horrific as it seems. Yeah, I think this at least holds that up and asks us to look at it. What is, you know, the question, which is a question that I've been asking myself in the context of global climate change and other kinds of climate change and other kinds of change, period. Mm -hmm. What are we afraid to lose? Mm -hmm. And in, you know, when you look at someone who is losing... Who you, when you look at a character like the biologist and you're like, this character is losing her humanity, what is it that she's losing and giving up? And what, and do we want to keep, do we want to keep those things? Right. Do we even want to keep those things? Are those things that like it's worth burning and subjugating and clear cutting and arguing and building to keep? I admit to having a complicated interest in the love story. It's interesting to me that you described it as a love story. Oh my God, it's totally a love story. Of course it is. Is it? Yes. Wait, why do you think it isn't? We're talking about her and her husband, right? Yeah. Who had gone on the previous expedition. And certainly at the end, she wants to go find him, but it seemed like there was a lot of relationship falling apart. It's not that she wants to go find him. That she wants to go find him is, is interesting, maybe. It's that she recognizes him at the end in the journal and that what she recognizes in the journal, first of all, it is a love story, but it's not, it's not like a sweet love story. It's like a hard love story. But the thing that absolutely, the thing that I had to like get up and walk off when I was reading it is that he keeps the journal for her. He notices the kinds of things in the journal that she would notice that he would never notice on his own. Right. He puts the kinds of things in there that he knows that she would be the kind of things that that she would point out to him mm-hmm. in the journal he points out to her. And in that so there's a moment when he sort of recognizes that about her which he records and then she gets to see that record of it and then also recognize something about him that she didn't see before. That's why I said it was misaligned, but I think if it weren't misaligned it would be super boring. And ordinary. And the idea that these two people whose relationship was filled with sort of missing each other and going past each other are sort of still doing that. But there's this moment of recognition and of like acknowledging and observing what is what is really there about someone rather than trying to catalog it or make it into what you think it ought to be does seem to me to be very in keeping with visions of the book as a whole. 
seeing a person for what they are and who they are, seeing a place for what it is and who it is, seeing yourself in a place for what you are and who you are rather than what you think it ought to be or, Mm -hmm. or trying to catalog and control it into being that. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm stretching it, but I, maybe I'm, it's possible that I'm stretching it because that is one of the ways that I love people is by showing them things that I think that they would really like to see. Mm -hmm. But even in the midst of him being confused, frightened, right? He, you know, he sees the doppelganger of himself walk by, you know, there's certainly an implication that some of the violence that Area X seems to bring out in certain people is affecting the group that he's part of. He still saves these things for her. Yeah, of course, it's a love story. Of course, it's a love story. See, I told you. Tell me if I'm wrong about this, but it seems like maybe part of what frustrated you about this book is that Jeff Vandermeer doesn't reach out that far toward a reader. Yes. There isn't a lot explained. In some ways, this is not a generous book. And so a lot of my reaction to it, I think, came from the fact that like the things that it is willing to give are things that like I was already predisposed to be moved by. Right. As a writer, you can't, you can't necessarily count on that happening. But I also appreciated its reserve because I think that the kind of careful attention that does not end in mastery is Mm -hmm. also a way of interacting with the non-human world that I would like to embrace. And Mm -hmm. that's what you need to pay to this book. You pay careful attention and it doesn't end in a mastery of the story. And that has to do with the way the story is constructed. And I think I like that. Thanks for listening to Cabbages and Kings. Please let me know what you think of the show. I'm on Twitter at KingCabbageCast, or there's a contact form on the website. You've probably noticed that there's been a bit of a delay in getting episodes out. I just got a job in an office about a month ago, so settling into a production schedule with that has been a challenge. There will be more episodes, I do promise that. I make no promises about schedule at this point. But I will drop into your podcast subscription tool of choice from time to time, and maybe in the future I will even be able to say that I'll drop in with some regularity. Until then, enjoy your reading.